What is up, you guys? New podcast coming right at you. Uh, before we start the podcast, did want to give a shout out to our sponsor, Burkhood. So a little bit about Burkhood is Burkhood is a global R&D funding consultancy with offices in Australia, New Zealand, uh, the U.S., and the U.K. They work with startups and businesses in accessing funding through R&D claims and help them maximize their Burkhood taps into the expertise of more than 15 years in the global R&D tax incentive landscape and across industries combining both technical and financial knowledge to help clients access innovation funding. So if you're a startup uh, CTO or founder or, you know, you're in a startup and you think that, or if you guys spend um, a good amount on research and development and product development and uh, don't know that you guys can claim a refund or tax incentive from it, uh, please do reach out to Burkhood. I've got my good friend Kenneth over there. Um, we'll be dropping a link in the... Uh, podcast description for you guys to check them out more in, uh, in detail um, and yeah without further guests today on the podcast um, Mahar Ventures is coming on and uh, yeah looking forward to you guys ha- uh, hearing the episode uh, what's up uh, Star Mindsets listeners uh, Dan here with Earl and you know today we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about uh, we actually have the um, founder of Mohara Ventures which is a uh, last time I checked, a product development company that helps uh, startups in the early stages from C to Series A uh, sort of work with uh, creating uh, an MVP or, you know, think we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more in detail. But uh, yeah, today we have uh, Richard Sams, the CEO of Mohara and Benji Fisher, um, an associate over there. So uh, without further ado, welcome guys and happy uh, Wednesday. Thank you very much. Thank you for having us. Welcome. <laughs> uh, for sure, man. Um, I think Rich, you know, uh, it, it, I guess it'd just be a good conversation starter to just uh, learn about how you started Mohara, and I think yeah. first would come would be how did uh, you get the idea, and um, yeah, I mean, what is Mohara, and just talk about talk to us on on that. Okay, fine. Yeah. So uh, I've I've uh, I I kind of came to this career, this entrepreneurial career, after ten years in teaching. So I was in education for, well, actually eight years, plus a little bit of study prior to that. Um, so I started the business in 2011, and uh, my co-founder and COO was actually our first, my first client. His name is Ben Blomley. Um, and how I came to it was, essentially, I was in computing. So I was a computing teacher. So I've always kind of worked with, worked with computers from like five or six years old. So a long, long time, did some early programming way back in the 90s. Bought my first website in 1995, you know getting on that, getting onto that kind of age range now. And I, I just felt from education after about eight or nine years in it, that it was a little bit prescribed. You know, I, th- I think there was a very clear seeing a very clear path to where teachers go. And I think I'm a little bit rebellious and I'm quite am- ambitious and I, I just wanted to create, you know, and I wanted to be able to build something. And I didn't necessarily know what it was at the time or a couple of years before starting Mahara. You know, I thought about, could I invest in a property portfolio? Could I do this? Could I do that? But there was definitely a desire for an ambition, a desire to grow and create something, you know, that I could kind of sit in the pub and say, you know, we did that, you know, kind yeah. of create something from, from scratch. So that's how it kind of came around. And, and the reason I went into, you know, what was originally a very straightforward kind of web development and product agency was that I just knew it. You know, I knew computing and I knew web development fairly well. And I had some good friends in Bangkok, which is where I was teaching at the time. Um, I was head of IT at an international school there. And we just decided to have a crack at it. So I came back to the UK and Patty, Pete and Kem, who were friends in Bangkok, 
and became the original development team. And I came back and went to try and sell my, you know, sell, sell the wares around London and Brighton and, you know, the rest is history. So that was 10, 10 years ago this August. That's really, that's really awesome. Um, uh, what were you teaching? You were teaching like English or computing? No, no, it's computing. Yeah, it was computing. So I did a bit of business studies in there, you know, through a bit of that. So I've used a, used the odd bit of GCSE business, but no, it was, uh, I taught computing to the, to, you know, kind of 16 to 18 year olds and below, below that it was a little bit of, com- little bit of coding, a little bit of kind of application, application work real broad stroke stuff not very high level as you can imagine but uh, you know in my in my t- in my spare time I've always just been interested in creating so I had a fair understanding of what things were but I guess I would class myself as a IT and computing teacher yeah it's awesome yeah it's like one of our first uh, uh, I think like uh, people we've talked to who, who have like spent time in, as an actual teacher and, and then ventured into yeah. and uh, yeah pretty pretty fascinating but um what, what, um, so what, what is Mohara in your in your view and like what do you guys do and what's uh yeah yeah so you so you, you touched on it so we are you know we consider ourselves a pre-seed to series a uh, size of business kind of product venture builder you know we we work with founders to typically non-technical founders who have got an idea of uh, or a, an idea or an opportunity with inside of a certain vertical but they don't have the capability or the knowledge in product or tech to actually build it out but they may have fantastic sector knowledge. So we like to kind of work with incomplete teams like that and fulfill that product and tech and design um, position with inside of that team and, and basically build tech product. That's, that's our core of what we do. We're an engineering team, at, uh, engineering, engineering firm at heart, to be honest. And we've definitely kind of developed our product knowledge as the years have gone by. Um, so one side, we work with startups, you know, very much building out their product all the way from ideation you know, take them through to series A. We see series A as a natural transition to bring in a CTO in-house. And then on the, on the corporate side, we, we work with innovation agencies and, and SMEs, sometimes up to corporate level, where we build out, um, we build out product for them that they may have recognized a, an opportunity or a risk or want to mitigate something in the market and want to innovate kind of with a startup mentality. So we bring a lot of what we learn from the startups and work with the bigger businesses and build out product, release it to market with them. Sometimes it's joint venture. Sometimes it's, you know, it's just a standard product sits within inside of their product suite um, and, and go and grow it out. And the beauty of that is that, you know, they're essentially doing the same thing. The ideas are coming from a founder. The ideas are coming from a head of innovation or an innovation agency. It's funded on the startup side by friends and family or potentially the founder themselves. On the corporate side, it's funded by the corporate. Once you clear those decks, building product, when you're building businesses yeah absolutely that's, the, that's what we do so you guys um what, what, how did so say for example i was a guy with an idea but i'm not a coder or a engineer by nature um and i would mm. come to you guys what, what's sort of like the how, how does it work do you guys take equity or like is there yeah in the, or like a, the start yeah we're quite yeah, we're quite we're quite flexible on engagement models, but we have we have two, basically two approaches. So on the startup side, yeah, we we forego our margin. So we 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 see ourselves as an early stage employee to that startup business. So oh. we take a salary. We take a salary. So we are paid a salary, and that is a, a cost rate of our team across the board. You know, across all of Mahara, from engineering, design, myself, Benji. You know, we're we're paid at cost as and when we're needed to be in that, and then the the delta between our cost rate and what would be our market rate, we take a proportion of that inequity that we earn over two years so very much like an early stage employee we've got you know you would have options as an employee we have equity that's got a strike rate and then we earn a salary which is obviously lower than what we would earn in market therefore we get the equity to compensate for that so the beauty of it is that the startup you know we don't we don't make any money we don't win until the startup wins so we're really aligned with the founder 
that's that affects decision making. It obviously is very preferential from capital because the rates are lower, um, and we're a distributed team, so we have the fortune of having teams in Bangkok and and in Cape Town and soon to be Medellin in Colombia. So we're able to uh, we're able to kind of offer up markets that startups typically wouldn't have the uh, capability to access. So on the startup side, it's you know it's foregone margin, you know, cost total cost for the salaries, equity play, which is obviously long term. And on the corp side, it's just day rates, very agency level, very agency kind of driven, but very partnership focused, you know, average partnership with our businesses is two and a half years that we work with on the corp side. So we really like to get and understand their business like we do on the startup side. And we charge a profitable day rate. And that's what pays for salaries and, you know, and growth. Oh, yeah. So this is uh, Earl here. Um, you know, we, we, we find a lot. Of, of founders that stop themselves from building a startup because they have to either find their own co-founder, either a technical, you know, yeah. a CTO or, or maybe if they're technology folks, they're looking for a business. Um, any, any thoughts here on, you know, if they're, I mean, especially your, your clients from the past, you know, why did they engage with you versus just trying to wait it out and keep on trying to do what they call founder dating in Silicon Valley, right? Uh, yeah. how, how does that work? I mean, because everybody here, I'm sure a lot of listeners are super curious that they want to mm. act, that this holds them back. Yeah. I mean, I think, so how we lay it out is when we, because we do a lot of mentoring, you know, we've done some stuff at LSE, we've done some stuff at um, kind of Imperial and whole business school and things. And every time we talk to, you know, a, a a founder that wants to get something going that is non-technical. We we lay out how we see it, and you've you've got basically three or four options. So you've got the opportunity to go and find a technical co-founder, and that technical co-founder, you know, may take a large piece of that business, and you're going to go into that 50-50, and that's okay, but they still need to see receive a salary. Very hard to come by someone who's highly capable to do that because they're you know such a rare commodity. Engineers, never mind engineers that have got product capability and potentially are even commercial as well. So it's very hard to find that 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 sole technical founder. Then you've got freelancers. You know, so you can go and find freelancers that are working for that that rate. You know, working for that um, that day rate, which has you know can imbalance can imbalance decision making. You've got agencies. You know, who are typically doing going to work like in a very freelance relationship. They may talk to having strong partnerships, but their model is incentivized at a day rate, very much like our corporate side is. So you have you have misalignment, we believe, potential misalignment on the on the agency side. Freelancers can be a risk because they're going to get job opportunities coming in from all over the place and they invariably will go to where they're where the where the kind of the day rate is the highest, as we've seen, which is fine. I understand that. And then on the on the on the single technical co-founder route, it's just really hard to find somebody. And there are great there are great stories of people finding um, finding you know yeah each yeah other. but it's but it's quite but it's quite rare and the i suppose the other side of that is i think i think 60 over 60 percent of the reasons a lot of startups fail is a breakdown of human relationship and i think when you've got that intensity of growing a startup with someone someone who you don't necessarily know and you're a ceo and a cto that relationship can become quite fractious yeah. what do you do if that cto leaves you know, in our early in our early days i think of our first 10 startups we took six had been broken teams so the ones that had fallen out of CTOC okay. had fallen out. Wow. So yeah, that's what we think. <laughs> that's, that's, that's awesome. Um, yeah, and it's pretty interesting that you guys are in like what four different continents or three. Yeah. So we so we have we have, we split it out as hubs and satellites is how we refer to it. So hubs are very much where we do, you know, production. So we have a design hub in Brighton, and that's the Brighton on the south coast in England. We have an engineering hub in 
Bangkok, which is where things started. Cape Town is an engineering hub in South Africa. And we're in the process of just, um, we are actually looking to the Philippines to support Bangkok as well, and also the West Coast time zone. And we're in, we're moving into Colombia. Should have been last June, um, but we should be moving there, I would think, April, May. And then we have, then we have satellites, uh, which is London, which is HQ. We have an office in Dallas, so we can, we can move into Dallas and Austin region. And we're hopefully very, very close to opening up in uh, just outside of Brussels, which may seem like a, mm. you know, an interesting choice, but we found a fantastic person, we believe, that can stretch across Paris, Amsterdam and the, and the Brussels region. Um, so we can get a bit of a foothold into mainland Europe as well. well I've got to ask you, um, how, how is it kind of just building a, your own company in, in different geographies? I mean, is there like a language barrier? Is there like a... <laughs> Okay. Yeah, it's a challenge, dude. It's a challenge. Yeah. Now it's, we, I mean, we, I, so Ben and I had a lot of interaction with Thailand early on. So we, we could work tremendously well with the Thai culture. Um, but it's really the Thai culture tradition is very, very different from a South African culture. And then you start to add in a Latin American culture and a US culture and a, and a British culture. It's a, it's a huge challenge, you know, and it's something that we do wrestle with and something that we're very much on the front foot with. Um, we, we invested in a business, one of the first we invested in called uh, ICQ Global. Um, a great guy there called Chaba, and he is, he's beginning to roll out a plan, plan for us. And he, he's, it's all about uh, psychological safety. It's all about intercultural intelligence. And we're very much on the front foot of that. You know, if people, if people cannot work, if people cannot work well together, if they do not understand each other, if there are misconceptions or misunderstandings or miscommunication, things break. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason mergers and acquisitions break. So we're very much on the front foot and, you know, Chaba and ICQ are going to be doing a lot of, a lot of work with us over, Probably as soon as we move into Latin America, because, you know, how do we how do we understand? How do we recruit well? How do we know they're the right type of people? Or maybe they're slightly further away from the type of people to you know, move the needle of the culture. It's a real challenge, real challenge. But, you know, we do our best and we do a lot of translation where we need it. We try to recruit in English with English speakers as much as possible, but it's not always possible. Um, and we're just open. You know, we, we, we accept that it's not going to be necessarily perfect the whole time. And you wanna- we try to... In- yeah. Try to instill is still a you know is still a culture of kind of um, acceptance, I guess. What, what, what you want to expand to like different continents? Was it just uh, you saw that there was a need, or you, you just like felt like you had to, or what, what kind of? Well, why did we do it? Do you say? Kind of, it's, it's kind of just. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, we've. I mean, I'm. I'm a bit of a megalomaniac, I guess. A bit ambitious. I mean, I. I want us to be the the, the premium, the, the place to go to if you're a non-technical founder. And I know that the US, the UK market, we've scratched the surface on it, and we're doing well. We know that we've got to support with engineering for those time zones, which is Bangkok and Cape Town. And I've, you know, the US is a massive market. It's a huge market, one that I think we can really affect change on because i've spoken to so many people over the last three or four years and we made the move to go there you know we are interested in potentially australia and singapore um, as time comes but it's it's really a case of this problem is all over the world you know it's having startup founders it's, it's particularly in particularly in developed markets where engineering is a scarce resource and tends to be very expensive this problem is is prevalent and if it is therefore we can operate and and i would like us to go and do that because there's so many ideas out there not being built because there's no access to actually having the capability to do it. And that's, that's our, that's our goal, really build great businesses with great people, wherever they are. Mm. Uh, Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. I I would just like add to Rich's compliment, what Rich is saying. And Rich probably doesn't give himself enough credit about this, where he's kind of put bets on 
countries that you might not have traditionally thought as being um, incredibly uh, forward in technology. Um, countries like Thailand or South Africa, which, um, you know, no, no one would have necessarily have thought, okay, I'm going to build out a tech team in South Africa. But what Rich and, and you know, Ben had done so brilliantly over these last few years is they've kind of got into the countries that are now starting to be noticed by the really, really big players. Like, for example, in South Africa, AWS is is huge, massive, massive presence in South Africa. So I think, yeah, Rich doesn't give himself enough credit there. He, he's kind of giving opportunities to a lot of these people in countries like South Africa, Thailand, Colombia. But, you know, we're very lucky to live in the UK and the US where we have a wealth of these opportunities. Um, Rich is kind of playing a real kind of global role here in in bringing more of these tech opportunities to countries like like that. I thought I'd add that there, Rich. You don't get Thanks, Benji. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that pat on the back. <laughs> for, for sure, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd love to, I mean, maybe switch the gears a little bit and talk about uh, sort of like what companies are you, I mean, maybe not so much which, co- which companies are you working with, but what kind of like uh, problems are these companies solving? And, um, I mean, maybe like if we could start off with like South Africa since not too many mm-hmm. people are familiar with that uh, part of the world. Yeah, so we- yeah, so we haven't we haven't actually done any active investments in South Africa yet. We've spoken to or had probably nearly ten pitches. We haven't quite found the right one yet. Um, I think in terms of businesses that we do work with, you know, it's it's we're we're sector agnostic. It really comes down to the founder um, and what they're looking to do. Um, you know, we have we've got a couple of startups in the US. We've got a couple in Europe. We've got a couple in uh, the UK. We have been very very close with with one in south africa um, but we mainly went to south africa initially as an engineering hub and now we're beginning to seek out opportunities down there because there's a wealth of opportunities in south africa there really is because it's such a it's a, it's a it's a really interesting country from where it's at at the moment um, and there and when it's well in its current state there is a lot of there is a lot of interesting opportunities and there's a lot of bright minds you know it's great regions great mm-hmm. universities and there's a lot of hunger to innovate and this, this all kind of came in our decision to go down there, you know, the, the, the mentality of the, of the kind of people coming out of universities is just really, really hungry. You know, they really want to, they really want to make a change and they want to be bigger and better. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and that's why we invested in SA particularly. We feel the same about uh, Columbia as well. You know, we, we've, I mean, Columbia is already on the rise. As a, as a country i mean ben ben's the region we're going to columbia he has he sounds a bit dodgy he has connections in columbia but he does uh, you know he does have uh, close friends there and we've talked about it a lot um, and and south africa was because our cto is south african you know and, and as soon as you get you, you begin to scratch under the surface of it and you can see this passion that, that exists in these places and it's like you know what we're not going to go to the ukraine <laughs> you know, we're not necessarily going to go there. We know there's fantastic engineering there, but you know this place. This feels like our place. We understand the culture. You know that's the place we want to go to. Look at the hunger there, and that's that's why we went down there. But I can't wait for us to find our first yeah. South African startup. I don't think we're far away from it. We're actually beginning to work with local companies in Bangkok as well, which is really fantastic because I, I didn't I didn't anticipate that happening. For sure, yeah, that's, that's really all um, quite interesting and. In, uh... Look forward to seeing what you guys um, accomplish there and get started. Uh, yeah, so I, it is Earl here. Uh, question on, um, you know, uh, looking and trying to find the right partners for you. I mean, what makes a great, 
maybe now it's really a non-tech founder, right? Just because a lot mm. of the people have random ideas, right? And everybody thinks that they can build a startup. But uh, mm. wh- what was that? So who, who do you partner with? Why them? Why not someone else who just tells you, you know, let's go do this, right? Um, well, so I mean, we, we, back in, you know, four or five years ago, when we first started doing our investments, we were quite relaxed about the deals that we did, you know, and some of them weren't great. And some of them will come back to hurt us in you know, slightly longer contracts than we needed to be in. Um, our process now is, is pretty defined. Um, at the front of the engagements, you know, it sits myself, Benji, and a chap called Cameron. And what we do is we field a lot of the startups that come through. You know, we, we've, we've been doing it for a while now, so we understand the kind of questions that we need to be asking. You know, we're, look, we're looking for that sector of knowledge. We're looking for the kind of personality that I guess is a little bit coachable you know, because you need to be able to receive advice from what we're trying to do. We need to be able to communicate in an open way. Um, and we're looking, for, we're looking for people that are ready to commit to it. And are they investable you know, as, as people? And is the idea investable? We then take a, we take a fairly quick run through the business plan and sense check it as a, as a first stage group. And if it makes it through the three of us, if that business makes it through, then we, we, we push it through to our investment committee, which is a, a chap called Robert, who is our chairman. Uh, ben, uh, co-founder and COO, and Etienne, our CTO, and then that is a deeper dive where the startup tends the startup has to pitch because we only do six of these per satellite, so we'll do six in London a year and six in Dallas a year. So it's it, and we probably see north of two hundred. I would say I would I would think that's probably how many we see across the business at the moment. So we have to be very picky. Um, but for for me, I'm very much set around the human part of it. You know, is this a person that we want to go into a marriage with? because we are building a business together. So I sit very much on that. Cameron's very analytical and Benji's very product, product and human focused. So I think I mean, Benji might be able to add to it, but that is what I look for to get through that first kind of first kind of fence. And then beyond that, then it's, it's down to the guys to really start crunching some numbers and some concepts. Have you guys heard of on deck? I'll explain why I'm giving that comparison in a minute. Yeah. On deck, like the fellowship, or on deck? Yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. fellowship. Yeah, fellowship. I, I, I'm part of on deck, so but uh, okay. I love to hear the analogy. Yep. Okay, so it's probably not a like for like analogy, Earl, but you know one of the main things about on deck is building out a community of founders, all who are experiencing the same kind of difficulties and are kind of feeding off of one another. And another aspect of on deck is that like rich said you find people who are coachable you find people who are open to learning and open to going on a bit of a journey and um learning how they can change themselves or adapt themselves in order to improve the startup that they've founded so something that i look for when we're when we're kind of interviewing startups or or seeking out those startups is that they've got that open-minded um they've got that open mind that they feel that they don't know it all and also as a result you know we're starting to build a bit of a community of these founders like similar to kind of an on deck where we've got people from property tech and finance tech and and um you know advertising technology and all these people are starting to actually talk to each other so for like a great mm. example is like we've got a guy called um uh, Dean and he runs a really great property tech company called Evo and he wants to partner potentially with um, a fintech startup that we created called KeekPay that we, we um, helped find and what we try to do is in finding those founders 
is are they open to community are they open to learning as well so that's another thing that i i kind of look for too uh, will they yeah. fit into the community we're trying to build yeah and i think just as last point on that you know we we want a differentiated portfolio but we want a portfolio that also you know marries with each other i mean benji just touched on there I mean, we're looking at uh, the retail space which wasn't again wasn't something that i've been looking at but the key pay open banking solution that we've got could link in really really nicely with the retail piece that we're doing in america which also links into an after sales startup that we just invested in so before we know it, we're beginning to build an ecosystem and these founders are almost like current alumni and they are beginning to share their stories and and, and the kind of the learnings that they have so you know, the human part of it and the coachability and, and that shared community like Benji just touched on is, is super important. It's not just the business, it's the person who's delivering it. Yeah, that's uh, Earl here again. Um, what, uh, what's the reaction of VCs into this model? Just because, you know, uh, there's two schools of thought, right? Like some VCs are all about metrics and execution. And as long as you meet these metrics, it's a good yeah. business. Some are very like, what is the composition of the team, including the initial team? But this one is like kind of halfway in the middle. What's the feedback on investors, uh, this type mm. of model where it's a non-tech founder, you kind of are the um, de facto uh, technology mm. and product team. And then later on, only when they fund you that maybe there's you know, a, another professional that comes in at the executive level. Mm. All right, two parts of this, I suppose I'll touch on to begin with. Um, so we are, we've, we're generally viewed favorably um, because, you know, we've gone through, we've done 22 investments on the startup side. You know, I've, I myself have been involved in north of 80, you know, across, across the years of the business, we built 180 odd products. So we've, we've been there and we've done it. We don't know everything, you know, and we learn every single day but we're a very safe pair of hands and potentially a safer pair of hands than a CTO or a tech person that has gone through one or two businesses because that's the journey they've seen. They haven't necessarily seen everything. So we've, you know, we've seen, we've got 22 businesses that we've invested in multiple ones that we've seen from the corp side and the, and the, and the startup side. So we learn a lot. Um, that also translates through the business. It's not a single person. You know, if you're going to take on a CTO, like I say, it's that single person, they've got that skill set. They could be fantastic. Right. That's what they are. Mahara is a team of 70, and that means you get access to 70 minds, you know, for that, for that, for that founding partner. So the, 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 the breadth of knowledge that we can pull as a, as a business that is invested in line with what you're trying to do, that is not profiteering anywhere. We've, we're seeing really favored from the VCs because we're viewed safer. Um, I think what's also, um, what they're also kind of, what they're pleased about is the fact that because we're underneath, we're in the, we're, we, we get underneath the uh, kind of covers of a business. This is slightly later stage. If, if we're involved, how do VCs view the business to invest in? So if we've been in for a year or two, we've got fantastic insight, you know, that an analyst just can't pull together in a month or two months. You know, we're able to talk to the founder, we're able to talk to product, we're able to talk to traction, we're able to talk to working mechanism, we're able to put the processes in that we've got. So we've got a great insight that a VC can then tap into and we can talk extensively to this. You know, so I think on the whole, we're, we're viewed favorably. There has certainly been times where it's like you need a full-time CTO. Um, and we, we disagree. We don't think at seed stage you need a full-time CTO because you're going to have a full-time CTO paid a lot of money who's going to be fixing bugs. You know, and that's just not level appropriate. You know, you don't need that strategic. So you don't need that strategic thinking at that level necessarily full time. Whereas with our model, you can say, okay, you've got a, a PO who could be our CTO. You you dip in, you take his brain when you need his brain. But the majority of the time is production, 
and it's muscle to be able to get your work out of it. Or it might be Benji for some product, or it could be Cam for some financial analysis. So there's, it's, there's a real variety of what you can pick up and put down from what we've got in the team. So I think on the whole, we're, 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 we're viewed favorably, certainly from an incomplete team, you know, because we are, we, there's a lot of strength with inside of Mahara. And we've learned a lot across the years and continuing to learn. So I would, I would say favorably um, to date. Haven't really had many rejections from VCs. Super interesting. Yeah, yeah. I love that, uh, you know, explanation. And um, yeah, I think that uh, non-technical founders need, need definitely need, um, what is it called? Your, your, your types of services. I'm, I, think, I think, you know, with, with where I've seen um, from my vantage point of like startup operations and how things work here in the U.S. and particularly California, it's more of a uh, like a like a two teams or I mean two people comprise a team a founding team and mm. what they're doing from there is you know they do everything right like they do marketing they they wear every yep. single there is every single hat yeah <laughs> yeah well, I, I mean maybe from a personal perspective what is it like just uh, on on the operation side of your end uh, helping these people out and seeing these uh, things grow from an idea to actual uh, businesses and and uh, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, I've been there, right? You know, I started this, I started this business out of my old bedroom, you know, in 10 years ago. And I've been there wearing those hats, you know. You've <laughs> got to learn about sales and marketing. You've got to learn about finance. You've got to learn about ops. You've got to learn how to do all of those, those different things, you know. And I think it's tough. You know, it's very, very tough. You know, you, you, you don't necessarily become a specialist. You become a generalist when you're in the yeah. startup wearing so many, so, wearing so many hats. I mean, I'm a, I'm a pure generalist, you know, I, and, and that's just, that's probably good for how I started the business. And then we bring those specialisms around it. So I think we understand the pain. You know, we understand that the buck stops with them. You know, we understand that they have an elevated risk profile, you know, that if they don't do something, then something doesn't happen. You know, it's not like if you're, you know, if you're working for someone, you know, the paycheck comes in at the end of the month, you've got to go and create, you've got to create that culture. You've got to create that team. If you don't do anything, nothing will happen. So I think we understand, we understand the pressures, of entrepreneurship we understand the ups and downs the exciting parts and the and the you know very sad and frustrating parts of it so i think from a cultural perspective we can relate um, we have an internal internal kind of mantra which is think thinking like a founder um and our, i mean ben's here i did a fantastic blog on it it's on our website about how he you know how he relates to founders and how we should relate to founders as a team um, because you know this, this business is their baby you know, and they're, they're, they're going to go to war for it and they're going to want to make sure that it's a success because they've got things on the line. And we understand that that's what it's like and because we've been there and we, we see it, we do it, and we're in the trenches. Um, so, you know, once you, get, once you get through understanding that and you, un, you, you begin to understand the psyche of an entrepreneur who's building a, a tech startup, then it's down to providing rigor, you know, rigor and process for them because they won't, they won't necessarily have done it before. You know, how do they know how to write a user story with acceptance criteria and communicate that to an engineer who's in and they don't know what they're talking about with tech because that's not their thing. You know, so we provide that rigor and that security and that safety and that process to be able to be as efficient of, in, in building what their vision is. You know, we're the operations that sit, sit alongside that vision of what their product should be. Um, so I think those are two sides of it. It's understanding the stresses and the strains, understand what it means to be an entrepreneur. We do because we are internally. And then understanding that you know, Mahara is that rock. Mahara is that process to be able to activate this person, activate this idea. 
Um, and I think that's where we're strong. You know, I think we understand it. And then we've also got the capability to go and deliver against what is needed. Good. Well, I guess I want to switch gears here a little bit, uh, Rich, on sure. uh, more of you, right? The both of you on, you know, at any point in time that you kind of knew that you were, you know, not a teacher, but an entrepreneur, right? Or maybe something even when you were younger that it's mm. kind of in your DNA. Just because we discover more and more in a lot of our conversations that there's typically some pivotal point in childhood or school time that made them realize that they might be, you know, more inclined to this type of path. Mm. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't think I ever have had any light bulb moments. I wish I did. I think I had some, I had some crossroads early life to be able to definitely take more of an entrepreneurial route early on. Um, I, do, I do recall a, a time where I managed to take all of my grandparents' kind of like garden games, you know, like croquet and tennis and badminton and laid them out all out on the lawn and then managed to sell them back to them for, for <laughs> Jaffa cakes. So, you know, these little kind of Jaffa cake sweets. And I was, I was just making, I was making boxes of these things. So that was like age six or seven. So maybe I was, maybe I was just a cheeky so-and-so. I don't know, but I, I, I guess I've always had that ambition. And when I was, when I was 18, I got my first student loan. Um, I decided that I was going to work at um, Marks and Spencer's at a shop and then save the student loan to be able to buy a property in Brighton and I had this big plan of how I was going to roll out student lets sadly the property prices in Brighton decided to go like San Francisco and I was slightly priced out of the market as a lowly student um, but I guess it's I guess it's always been there that, that hunger to create um, I think defining moments I haven't necessarily got them but I think it's always just been there that ambition to grow and create and not have a ceiling and to be a little bit free to do that and I think that's true entrepreneurship for me is that I'm gonna I've, I've got an idea that I've got an opportunity where I can see this and I'm gonna go and pursue it I'm gonna go and take that risk and I think I've just had that ingrained in me even though my, you know, my parents are a doctor and a biochemist and, and a teacher but have always encouraged me to kind of give me that safety to go and do what I want to do so no defining moments as such but definitely some definitely some traits when I look back across the years you're like wow okay you're definitely a bit of a wheeler dealer but I've got loads of Jaffa cakes out of it so I was super happy as a seven-year-old. Super happy. I kind of. And kind of Benji, how about you? I'd say the same. Um, I think, for me, I, I, yeah, very similar to Rich. Actually, and I, I haven't heard it, this kind of a background to Rich myself. So this was this is kind of new. But likewise, during uni, I got my student loan, and rather than using that to <laughs> buy food or spend it on booze. I thought, you know what, I'm going to launch my, launch my first startup. So it, I think I was at, yeah, I was 18 and I, um, and I launched this like political media um, company. It was like a, a mixture between, a, we kind of uh, put forward political views in a very simplistic way and people could engage on the platform. It was kind of a social platform. And I thought it was going to be an absolute, walk in the park because somehow i would managed to encourage an angel investor to um, to put a bit of money into it at the age of 18 I was 18 years old I was thinking I'm going to be the next Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but you know what the turning point for me was the turning point for me was when I launched that startup and I um, did the launch and I sat on Google Analytics and you know <laughs> sob sob but I'm okay now I looked sat on Google Analytics I got about two people, two people on, on, you know, on this, on this thing that I'd spent so long trying to, 
you know, work on and build out and got investment for and, you know, really thought this, this is going to change the world. And you know what the turning point for me was? The turning point for me was it's not as easy as it looks. It's not as easy as it looks. And you've got to be, my God, you've got to be fully, fully, fully um, dedicated to, to make it work and, you know, have some failures and learn from them. So yeah, that's definitely my, my turning point. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, I guess there's a question to, to both of you. Um, I think a lot of the world is, oh, I mean, you know, if we look at the world, a lot of the world is employees, but there's been a, like, I guess with the advent of the digital age and I, I mean, just Corona COVID, uh, putting everybody just stuck at, stuck at home and, um, uh, having to work from home. I think there's, there's a realization that, um, if I can work from home, then, then, you know, why not work from home on my own type of ideas? And I think that uh, entrepreneurship is just uh, continuing to blossom. I mean, like it's growing at an exponential rate. Like, do you guys uh, think that that too? And I mean, do you like, what what do you see? Like, I mean, maybe a question that would be cool to learn more about is like, what's the entrepreneur appetite in, in, I guess maybe like Bangkok versus like, uh, I mean the UK and I think you know it's interesting because we haven't spoken to people in Europe or particularly the UK um, about mm. you know business right but there's such a different approach compared to America where it's more like um, I don't know it's just different I think it's refreshing to hear and I mean just wanted to... yeah so I mean us Brits we're quite risk averse normally you know we're, we're quite we're quite you know quite straight quite secure about what we like to have in place um, I think the recent kind of pandemic the last year i think what's happened is there's been a a lot of people like you say have had a bit of a sense check on what they're doing and uh-huh. and you know how they want to live their life and what kind of balance they want and whether now is the time to go for something you know there has there has obviously has been quite a lot of furlough in the uk so people have had the opportunity to potentially explore some learning and potentially have you know look at things that they could be doing outside of their job if they're not working day to day and there has also been a number of redundancies you know, which creates space in people's lives. And I think, you know, what we've seen is there's, there's definitely been an increase in um, kind of entrepreneurial ideas coming through. Whether or not there's been a, you know, big increase in the number of investments being made, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. But I think there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of increase in early stage, early stage startup accelerators. So we mentor at one called Fast Forward and we, you know, we support on a couple of things with a business called Rainmaking. And uh, they do a great program, which we do guest lecturing for called Aspire. And it's about getting people who have, you know, have sadly been made redundant into entrepreneurship. And it's full. Mm-hmm. This course is full. And it's, there's, a, there's been a real, a real kind of shift, as far as I've seen, in, in appetite in the UK. Um, certainly from, from people that have, you know, been unfortunately been made redundant or have decided you know, when they're on that furlough that they might have had that light bulb moment. They might have thought, well, let me have a look at this. And then have decided to, sh- to shift careers. Um, with regard, to, um, I don't know, Benji. Do you want to add to that before we scooch around to any other countries if we want to? Um, yeah, no, I, I would. I would say, and also, you know, different com- countries have different cultures and attitudes towards mm. whether they want to create a startup or whatever. I, I just hopped off of. Um, like a clubhouse we're doing a clubhouse with um funnily enough uh he's the ceo of um chegg and um he talks about this idea that you don't always need to be a founder you don't need to be that person who creates a startup you could be um like a 
you know, a, a top executive at a company or something like that. And I think that some different cultures have different ideas behind that. And there's you know, some countries where they're like, yeah, I actually want to be that top executive and stuff like that. So mm. it depends on the country as well. It depends on the culture. I think that's a good, great actual point into, into, into Thailand. I mean, my experiences of, you know, 10 to 12 years of working there, Thailand tends to lean that way. You know, there is, there, culturally, it's very much about security. It's very much about the gravitas of working at a larger business. You know, that is, that is the nature of it. And therefore, the Bangkok startup scene is very, very different to the startup scene in the UK, to the startup scene in South Africa. It's slightly less hungry from what I've seen. And that's, and that's driven by those cultural, those cultural influences for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a great, great insights from you guys. And uh, definitely got to uh, learn more about the um, parts of the world that are uh, not used to. Uh, you should also travel to them because they're all beautiful. We happen to have chosen offices just in stellar places. Yeah. <laughs> Bangkok, Bangkok's great fun. It's right by the islands. South Africa, it's Cape Town is stunning. Absolutely fantastic. Colombia is near, you know, Medellin, beautiful Cartagena. You know, we know what we're doing. It's not just fluke. It's all because we get to travel there when COVID's over and you know, have a great time as well. Mm, you know what? I didn't think about that, but that's true. I mean, maybe that's an interesting advice to, to founders that are looking for uh, kind of teams from other geographies is you kind of want to be there, right? <laughs> you know, because you got to meet your teams and, you know, build that culture there and uh, make sure that you enjoy uh, flying there and look forward to it versus to dread it. So I, I love that insight. Um, yeah, maybe, you know, I want to go to the last part of our conversation here and, sure. you know, our, our three kind of signature questions in startup mindset. So let's start with the first one, um, which is, you know, if uh, each of you maybe just summarize your own personal startup mindset in maybe one or two sentences, uh, what would that be? <laughs> Who's going first, Benji? <laughs> go on, Rich. I'll let you take it. All right. <laughs> Thank you. My, my startup mindset, I guess um, I'm, a, I'm innately a risk taker. Um, but I think one thing that I have failed to do in the past, I know this is maybe not summing it up, but is around focus because I'm a bit of a magpie because I have multiple ideas every day, you know, focusing down on what you need to do um, is something I've had to teach myself. So my mindset very much now is like, that's a fantastic idea. Let's test that assumption. Is that something we want to go for? Yes, it is. Okay. Let's take that risk. So I hold myself back slightly on what I need to do because I've chased many, many things to, yeah, many, many failures along the way, which makes me a, a far better businessman than I have been to date. So I think my mindset is about, it's about risk, but creating the correct risk profile. It's about focus and making sure you can deliver once you've made the position to do, be a good human being. <laughs> you know, you're going to work with people ultimately and, and people make the world go around. And when we have a phrase that, you know, people are the starting point, technology is the end game. And we genuinely believe that. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, if you decide to do it, you're going to bring people along the way. So make sure you're good to people. And then at the end of the day, just try and find some joy and some satisfaction because you, you know, we're only here for a visit. We don't want to be, you know, pushing ourselves, pushing ourselves and pushing ourselves without some form of reward. So make, make sure it's fulfilling in, in some way. So I think on the hop, that is how I would probably describe how I feel about entrepreneurship. Oof. You've given me a you've given me a tough act to follow. Rick. <laughs> um, I would say, don't don't ask for permission. Ask for forgiveness. <laughs> I'm sure you hear that. It's a classic. You know, yeah. you hear that from a load of your guests on the podcasts. Um, also, 
another thing I try to tell myself every every kind of few days or so is to you know enjoy the present now it, it's so so difficult to do because we're always thinking ahead to the future like how can I be better how can I yeah. improve this but actually sometimes if you're not focusing on the present you you actually miss things that are in front of you so enjoy the present now and like enjoy the plateaus sometimes you're going to have loads of plateaus on that path mm-hmm. to mastery enjoy those plateaus like take take that in and i'm i'm saying that I, I sometimes don't do it myself but i certainly try and tell myself to to um to kind of <laughs> do that um i think i think just yeah. to jump in on that sorry benji i just i i totally agree with you when we were when i was having a bit of a tough time during the pandemic last year you know it was you know just adjusting to everything and it was just hard to not be around everybody you know i was i was having a bit of a grumble to my dad you know, I just said, oh, we've got to get here, we've got to get here, we've got to get here, you know, and that kind of push, 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 drive stuff. And he just, he said, look, life is, you've got to be present. He said, you've got to learn to love the process. You've got to learn to love the journey. You know, and I had this on my iPhone screen for about, I don't know, six or seven weeks. And it's, you know, everyone talks about goal setting. You know, it's like goals, you've got the goals, you've got your targets, you've got your targets. You don't actually think about loving the bit to actually get you there if you love the bit to get you there that's the work piece if you love that then it just flies by and you achieve your targets because you're thriving yeah. in that flow i agree and i think i just think you know benji touched on it there i think you've got to fall in love with a process that works for you that enables you to hit that target then it is just dreamland then things start to happen for sure i definitely love it and uh you know i'll i'll, I'll ask the second to the last question before dan wraps it up you know, you maybe alluded to this already, but, you know, if you had to take a time machine and go back to your 20-year-old self and you met him, right, for each of you, what would you tell him uh, in order to pursue and to cultivate, you know, the startup mindset that you guys just talked about today? Okay, right. 20-year-old Rich. Um, well, being the, uh, being the complete visionary that I was at 18, I was studying education and computing. And I produced a multimedia piece of software. So I wrote this software. And I think most teachers on that course couldn't produce multimedia software. So I produced it. And my lecturer pulled me a lot aside and he said, right, you're on the wrong course. You need to go and do engineering or web development. And I said, no, I'm not going to do web development. I can't see that there's any money in the internet, is what I said. At 18, like a true visionary. So I would probably track back to that 18-year-old and say, hang on a second. You've got the capabilities of ideas. You've got the raw skills to be able to, you know, create, you know, be able to write code. So I think I would say, okay, just breathe a second there. If you've got the capability to execute or you've got the people around you to capability to execute, you might be able to follow, might be able to follow things a little, um, a little easier than the roundabout journey that I've done it. So I would, that's probably a bit of a crossroads segue that I would do change. Um, but in terms of encouraging, or what would I say to myself in terms of courage in the mindset? I would, I would just probably, I would probably encourage myself to take a few more risks at that age. I think I was mm. probably, I wasn't very risk. I was quite risk averse as a 20 year old. And that was a confidence driven thing, probably a little bit of imposter syndrome in there, you know, and I was a bit, I was a bit nervy and it took time for me to develop as a person to be able to have the courage to be able to go, you know what, I back myself. Mm-hmm. So I would have probably said, Stick to computing, build some software, <laughs> and also and also believe in yourself a bit more than I probably did back then. I think that's what I'd do. That's awesome. Uh, well, I'm uh, <laughs> was the 20, 20 year old me was only a few. Not years that ago. long ago, eh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, 
I, I would say that uh, I've, I'm starting to learn uh, that I need to really focus in on one thing. And um, I was trying to spin so many plates at the age of 20 and do so many things. I kind of still do today, but I'm getting a lot better at it. Um, and I would have told myself to learn the 80-20 principle about you know, the idea that, and you've probably had this again on your startup and going through all your guests and what they've said, but 80% of what you do only delivers 20% of the value and 20% of what you do is actually what delivers 80% of that value. Oh. Uh, so that, that's something I tell myself today for sure. Yeah, I love both of those answers and uh, uh, definitely think that uh, it's really, uh, you know, um, kind of inspiring and definitely a lot to take away. Um, I think the last question here is, uh, you know, it's been a great podcast and I think the last uh, thing we ask is, uh, what, what, well, you kind of alluded to it, Benji, right? Like what kind of books or things that you draw inspiration from? Um, doesn't have to be a book, but uh, I guess just people or, I don't know, man, just uh, anything that you two gain inspiration from to, to power through these challenges that you may have experienced. Yeah, I mean, I from from my perspective, I, I, I mean, do I go to like a lot? I sort of think about what I've, what I've taken through. I tend to read a lot about psychology, or have done over the years of starting the business, because the amount of perseverance you need, and yeah. times you have to pick yourself up. You know, and obviously, you know, we've all heard about grit and and things like that. But I think I've gone through those books. I think the the things that get me inspired are the founders' stories you know, knowing that I'm not the only one going through that when I was starting it. So, you know, I think the hard things about hard things was a great book for me to read. You know, I read shoe dog about Nike. I've just picked up uh, Jeff Bezos's uh, invent and wonder book. Um, so I think there's, I think I, I myself, how to win friends and influence people way back in the day. Am I doing the right thing when I talk to people, even though it's a bit of a, a dated approach now. So I think I, you know, I kind of flex through this, you know, the standard grit and perseverance that you need but then also inspiring stories you know because these people have gone through it and they invariably go through the same stuff that everybody goes through i can trace a lot of what weirdly a lot of what the first five years before night got anywhere um it's very similar to us same challenges before they really picked up as a product i was like crikey that's the same that's the same that's the same <laughs> when i read this when i read the struggle which is a fantastic chapter with inside of hard things about hard things he said i read this and i said dad look at this look at this page. He says, well, that's us for the last six years. I was like, exactly. But you know, he invented Netscape and now it's on you know, one of the biggest VC, VC firms in the world. So we're going to get there. Um, so I do that. I think short term, you know, short, short reads. I am addicted to first round capital. Sure. Uh, Philadelphia. Um, I think they're fantastic. I had the opportunity to meet the founder once, one of the founders. And they're just, I think they're really cool. I like the way they write. I think they're insightful. It's quick reads. Um, and then it's broad medium stuff, whatever kind of punches through and whatever the team share on our knowledge channels, um, but really broad. But I think mainly inspiring stories for me, you know, show that light that it's a journey that everybody was on. You don't just get there. You know? Cool. Benji? So from, I'm also a big, big fan of philosophy and psychology. And I did my degree in politics. I would say, um, uh, there are a few names that I would really recommend to you, you know, read. Um, there's a guy called Alan de Botton. Um, I great. would absolutely, in a heartbeat, mm. if you haven't read his stuff, take a read Fantastic. of School of Life. Hmm. And it is 
it's not necessarily focused on business, but um, he talks about everything from, you know, the role religion plays in the world at the moment, the role art plays and how we can shape a much better society and how you can live a little bit of a better life. Um, I would also, you know, from a business perspective, the lean startup, I, I, you know, it gave a really good background for me on to how, yeah, how, how you build a, how you build a startup. And then, um, so, so I'm Jewish and, um, we, we have like a kind of community leader in the UK, um, who unfortunately recently died a few months ago and his name was Lord, Lord Rabbi Sachs. And he wrote a book called Morality. And it's something that I hold like really close to my, you know, heart on my sleeve kind of thing where, you know, he talks about why we need morality and how we find it. Because I think a lot of people are on autopilot at the moment and aren't necessarily thinking about how they can help, how they can kind of help the world. So um, those are, yeah, those are definitely some of the names. And, you know, I'm sure there's loads of business names I can list through, but you've probably heard all of those on your podcast. So I thought I'd give a bit of a different, different feel. I think it's worth saying that uh, Alain de Botton uh, has fantastic uh, YouTube videos. And Brené Brown as well, and people like that, all, all should be checked out on YouTube as well. If you're not going to go and buy a book, you know, 20-minute speech, it's, it's just amazing. There's a great one on uh, emotional education. Um, it's just uh, it's fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned him, Benji. He's really good, really enjoyable. Yeah, it's great. For sure, yeah. I think that, that does it, almost does it for the podcast. Um, we'll definitely, you know, look into those uh, pieces of material, and, and uh, I'm sure listeners will too. We're also writing a book, uh, Earl and I, at the same time. So oh, great! You know, I don't think that ever got mentioned, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love for you guys to check that out one day, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right. Um, well, thank gentlemen. Thank you so much for your time, and looking forward to more collaboration. And uh, I'm sure the listeners would love to connect with you. Yep, absolutely. More than welcome, and thanks for having us, chaps. It's been really enjoyable. So, how, how can people find Mahara, or you guys are like? Uh, Stuff. Yeah, so Mahara, mahara.co, so M-O-H-A-R-A.co, um, it's our website, um, and then we're just uh, Benji at and Richard at um, those, those URLs. And you feel free to reach out anybody, we're happy to chat. For sure, yeah, thanks, thanks for the time again. Thanks very much, guys.